0: The verdict concerning the five terrorists was pronounced finally and confirmed upon the same day. The condemned were not told when the execution would take place, but they knew from the usual procedure that they would be hanged the same night, or at the very latest, upon the following night. And when it was proposed to them that they meet their relatives upon the following Thursday, they understood that the execution would take place on Friday at dawn. Tanya Kovalchuk had no near relatives, and those whom she had were somewhere in the wilderness in Little Russia, and it was not likely that they even knew of the trial or of the coming execution. Musya and Werner as unidentified people, were not supposed to have relatives, and only two, Sergey Golovin and Vasily Kashirin, were to meet their parents. Both of them looked upon that meeting with terror and anguish, yet they dared not refuse the old people the last word, the last kiss. Sergey Golovin was particularly tortured by the thought of the coming meeting. He dearly loved his father and mother. He had seen them but a short while before, and now he was in a state of terror as to what would happen when they came to see him. The execution itself, in all its monstrous horror, in its brain-stunning madness, he could imagine more easily, and it seemed less terrible than these other few moments of meeting, brief and unsatisfactory which seemed to reach beyond time, beyond life itself. How to look, what to think, what to say, his mind could not determine. The most simple and ordinary act, to take his father by the hand, to kiss him, and to say, how do you do, father, seemed to him unspeakably horrible in its monstrous, inhuman, absurd deceitfulness. After the sentence, the condemned were not placed together in one cell, as Tanya Kovalchuk had supposed they would be, but each was put in solitary confinement, and all the morning until eleven o'clock when his parents came, Sergey Golovin paced his cell furiously, tugged at his beard, frowned pitiably, and muttered inaudibly. Sometimes he would stop abruptly, would breathe deeply, and then exhale, like a man who has been too long under water. But he was so healthy, his young life was so strong within him, that even in the moments of most painful suffering his blood played under his skin, reddening his cheeks, and his blue eyes shone brightly and frankly but everything was far different from what he had anticipated. Nikolai Sergeyevich Golovin, Sergei's father, a retired colonel, was the first to enter the room where the meeting took place. He was all white, his face, his beard, his hair, and his hands, as if he were a snow statue attired in man's clothes. He had on the same old but well-cleaned coat smelling of benzene, with new shoulder-straps crosswise, that he had always worn, and he entered firmly, with an air of stateliness, with strong and steady steps. He stretched out his white, thin hand, and said loudly, "'How do you do, Sergei?' Behind him, Sergei's mother entered with short steps, smiling strangely but she also pressed his hands and repeated loudly, How do you do, Seryoshenka? She kissed him on the lips and sat down. She did not rush over to him. She did not burst into tears. She did not break into a sob. She did not do any of the terrible things which Sergey had feared. She just kissed him and silently sat down and with her trembling hands she even adjusted her black silk dress. Sergei did not know that the colonel, having locked himself all the previous night in his little study, had deliberated upon this ritual with all his power.